Listener Production. Shares, Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special mailbag edition, as it always is every single Sunday. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He is Andrew Page from strawman.com. The, um, the, um, uh, actually, it's a profit online investment club, isn't it? Hey. No, hey. I'm paying attention. A, ro- hey, a red letter day. I'm good, mate. <laughs> what letter, though? Couple <laughs> <laughs> F for finally? I don't know. <laughs> F for something Go, else. Couple, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, should we uh, get on with it? Let's dive right, right in. No right. preamble. No pre- Well, just have preambled. There, there'll uh, be question- tangents, but no preamble. <laughs> Correct. Question from Darren. I'm stopping myself saying anything else. G'day, Scott and Andrew. I'm a long-time listener every week, he says. And first-time questioner, also a current subscriber to Share Advisor and Dividend Investor. Thank you, mate. Hoping you can please discuss my question. I regularly invest in dividend stocks and use a dividend reinvestment plan where possible with the goal of never selling and dividends forming a significant portion of my family retirement. I love that, Darren. Typical Mm. stocks I invest in are the Vanguard Australian Shares ETF, West Farmers, BetaShares UMAX, Solpats, Brickworks and Sonic Healthcare. Dividends tend to range from between 2 to 6%. Here are my questions. One, interest rates are at the top end of the dividend payments I receive. In other words, rates getting close to the dividend yield. At what point should you consider leaving money in an offset account that is not subject to tax rather than adding it to my portfolio? You know what I love about the offset account or just you know, old-fashioned mm-hmm. paying down the principal is yep. that it's a guaranteed form of return. Yes, it is. And tax-free. You know? it's pretty, that, that, that's a pretty good one-two punch, isn't it? It's great. It's great. Yeah. And and yeah. it just it also means that you've got more optionality down the track mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you now got more equity if you do want. I mean there's there's no I'm not going to say that it should be no debt or all debt, but there's there's, mm-hmm. there's a big shade of gray in between. There's a big spectrum and yeah. I I I just love that ability. Now, that is a that is a pretty ordinary proposition when I'm getting 6% in a great dividend stock versus 1% uh, yes, in, right. in a term deposit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but when you ago, start yeah, right. And but when you start to get comparable rates, well, mm. yeah, I, I think it's I think it becomes a more difficult decision. Of mm. course, as someone who never intends to sell and be a long term investor, what you have to factor for this is called the yield trap, mm-hmm. um, which is this idea that we quote dividend yields based on the current price and last year's dividend. Mm. Now you look at the best dividend paying companies. And by the way, the best dividend paying companies aren't the ones with the highest yield. And they're not the ones with the highest yield, because even though you might start off when you buy Mm -hmm. it, the quoted yield is 2%. If that dividend rises 10 or 15% every year, your yield on your uh, capital actually goes up and up and up and up. Now, mm-hmm. that's that's not going to happen in, in that other uh, alternative, right? So they can be deceptive and they're more, like most things with compounding and this kind of mass, long-term it becomes very deceptive. So you'll get to, a, we were talking about spiffy pops last week, that idea yes. where share price goes up more than, more than your cost base in a single day. You can get to situations, I can't remember off the top of my head, I used to be able to quote a few of them, where <laughs> people who had held the, some great dividend paying stocks for 20 years were effectively getting half their cost space back each year in dividends yeah yep. right so that dominoes would be that over 10 plus years i think woolies might be that over 20 years for yeah. example there's some good examples yeah this is phenomenal right yeah. um yeah. So, so so it's not it's not a black and white thing i will just acknowledge the the uh, listener's question which is yeah it gets mm-hmm. it, it it becomes a more difficult choice the higher interest rates go well the, let me rephrase that the 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 bigger the smaller the disparity between mm-hmm. yields and interest rates 
I completely agree. Uh, now, Darren's second question is how much of this is behavioural? And should I just keep investing for the long term? I'm going to use that question to help answer the first one. I didn't give Andrew that opportunity, so jump in later. Go for it. Um, to my mind, so here's the thing, right? We, you and I have talked before about investing versus paying off a home loan, you know? And mathematically, over the long term, you're better off paying down, uh, sorry, better off paying minimum home loan because it's not interest in tax deductible. You or renting, go and, God forbid. Yeah. Right, well, that's right, exactly. And then and yeah. investing. There are lots of things that are mathematically more important. In this case, I actually completely agree with you, Andrew, and I would be mathematically inclined to say it's pretty close to a line ball after tax and with the guarantee rolled in. If you can get, you know, 4.5% or save that, 5.5% probably in, in, uh, in, in mortgage savings, then you're probably better off. A couple of things are different though. Firstly, your principal place of residence will compound with house price growth, but you're probably not going to recognize any of that value. So the money, the interest you save is going to an asset that yes, is growing, but unless you're going to sell and downsize, you never really get a, a return for it. So behaviorally- Such an excellent point, but yes. Right, so on. behaviorally, I would say, if you can afford to pay the interest on your loan and keep putting money in, in, in shares, just, just you're better off behaviorally. No, mathematically, it still never makes sense because you can still put the extra money into shares as well as the home loan. Like, you know, math, there is no, there is no avoiding the maths. Numbers are numbers are numbers. You mentioned last week, maths is maths. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so that's you know, the real honest reality is mathematically there is a best decision. Behaviorally, I would honestly, until rate, if rates go up another one percent, then maybe change you change your tune. But think really seriously about it because I think it's. Um, I think that's the the behavioural bit is is really what matters. Uh, paying down the loan and then investing in growth assets independently, separately. Now you could just pay the loan off quicker, and then at that point in 15, 20, 25 years time, you put even more money into buying those growth assets. That's what I mean about the maths working out either way. But I, that's what I would do. Um, question three, mate, was should there be? Oh, go on. I, I just want to uh, add Please. to that. There's there's when you're trying to do sort of the math side of things and based on your calculations, this is the unavoidable reality of having to forecast, right? Yep. Yep. So there are classic quote unquote dividend stocks like Telstra. You could have bought it in 2014, you're getting 30 cents mm-hmm. a share. You're getting 16, yep. 17 cents a share now. So it doesn't right, like, right. Do, do you know what I mean? So you've got to, it, 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 as so often is the case, the answer is it depends. What's the best mm-hmm. path? Well, if you can find an incredibly strong dominant dividend payer that's going to compound its dividends at 10% every year, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the choice, right? If, you're, if you think you're buying that, but you're buying something that's more akin to the Telstra's 10-year history, well, it's a very different proposition. So just, just to acknowledge that point. Theory and execution are two different things. <laughs> Speaking of which, Darren then says, third question, should there be consideration to turn off the DRP and send those payments to the home loan? Uh, again, it's, it's, the same, it's the same money either yeah. way, right? It, it's behavioral entirely. If you make one decision about your first question, then the answers to question two and question three look after themselves by definition. If money's better in the offset, then wherever it comes from, it's better in the offset, wages or dividends. Conversely, if you're going to try and take a behavioral lens and say, well, I'll keep compounding because at least I know it's happening, now, here's uh, just back to my first point very quickly. Um, most people say, yes, when I pay the loan on, then I will put more money into shares or I'll put money on something else. We just don't do it as humans. We just, we fi- our, our lifestyles expand. We find reasons not to. We finally can afford the new car. We finally can renovate the house. We'll find reasons not to. Uh, so that's why I'm a big fan of behaviorally, just, just doing the right thing every day, just day in, day out. Don't wait for some future you to make good decisions because you, maybe you will, maybe you won't. Um, the power, once you give up that, if you start making bad decisions, you've given up years and decades of compounding. So mm. that's, my, that's my view. What, um, I, what I would influence for me in this situation, mm-hmm. it would depend on the degree of uh, leverage I have in my home loan. So, ah, that's a good point. Yeah, good you know, So if I, if I had paid 80% of the thing down, 
I'd be much more inclined to put put the excess capital into dividends, right? Because I've just got such a huge buffer there. The interest burden's probably not massive, you know, and, and therefore the tax, the the interest savings, not not relatively that big. If I've borrowed a five percent, well, if I've got a five percent deposit and I've borrowed ninety five percent of the value of my house, then I'm very much putting as much as I can towards the offset to just to reduce that down a bit, and that's purely. I mean, that's mm. actually the worst thing to do from a return perspective if you expect good house price growth, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Leverage helps you when, when things yeah, go up. Yeah. But I would be doing it just for the what if. And and I think I think too uh, rarely do we do we think about the downside of, of what can go wrong. And so, yeah, if, if you're highly geared, shift it mm. towards the offset. Mm. If you're not, you've got more scope to, to focus on the dividends. Yep. Uh, mate, I'm going to ask a question that uh, you know I'm going to be happy with from Mark P, who says, "Dear Scott and Andrew, I love your podcast. It's intelligent, educational, and entertaining. It's also the best value for money investment podcast going." <laughs> Thanks, I think, Mark. We need to set up uh, Patreon accounts or something. <laughs> oh like that. yeah, we should. <laughs> well, mate, that, you, know, you know why we shouldn't do that? Because when no one paid, that would just be really depressing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Couldn't you Patreon account in six weeks' time? I can buy a coffee to share with you. Uh, I invest in Washington H. Sol Pattinson, Sol Pats, and just listen to their first half 2023 performance presentation. It all sounds too good to be true, says Mark. And before I forget, everyone knows this, but I own shares in Sol Pats. Their reported stats are truly amazing, says Mark. Total ROI, return on investment, over the last 20 years has been 921% versus 498% for the All Lords Accumulation Index. By the way, that's the right index to use because you're including dividends there. Solpats has consistently beaten the index over the last 5, 10, 15, and 20 years, and they have 23 consecutive years of growing dividends. I know you're both expert stock pickers who also like using broad-based index funds as a fairly safe long-term Aussie core portfolio investment, but surely Solpats has to be up there among the best long-term performing and broadly diversified shares on the ASX. Uh, I'll take that as a comment, Mark, because it then say, my questions to you are, one, do you know of any other single ASX-listed stock that matches the consistent past performance of Solpats? And two, given the recent performance, does Motley Fool still consider Solpats to be a buy? He says in brackets, sorry, I don't have a Motley Fool subscription, but I did love your Solpats summary podcast about 12 months ago, which laid out the long-term buy thesis. I'd love to hear your general thoughts on this, including Solpats' recent performance, P.S. You can mention my name. Kind regards, Mark. As I've said, Mark, if you put that at the end, you've got to have your name mentioned. So as our listeners know, if you don't want your name mentioned, put it at the top of the pod uh, question. Um, mate, I'm a Solpat shareholder. I'm a very happy Solpat shareholder. I'm going to assume question one is absolutely. Are there any single listed stocks that matches the consistent past performance of Solpats? There'll be something out there that's done better than Solpats, almost by definition. Over oh, yeah. 20 years, something will have just shot the moon. Probably uh, Fortescue, frankly, I don't know if it's 20 years old, but would absolutely smash Solpats. Um, CSL might be close, maybe more than that. Here's the thing about um, Solpats and any, any listed investment company or conglomerate. Um, by definition, the diversification means you can't do as well as a single company um, because well I guess you can literally in theory if every single one of those components did well uh, but al- almost by definition if you have yeah, yeah they've got they've got an equity portfolio they've got um, probably four major investments and a, half a dozen miners almost by definition they might, can't all perform as well as a single company they'd be listed on the ASX um, even if they were in the iron ore game and had other things a pure iron ore player like Fortescue is going to smash them because it was smaller it got bigger all that kind of stuff so yes there is absolutely you say consistent past performance um, CSL is probably close I guess it's probably been reasonably consistent I guess any any thoughts on, on kind of comparators mate? Yeah, they're out there. Um, I mean, kudos to Sol Pats. I mean, it's just an incredible 
track record. Yeah. Um, and it's it's past is what what's the usual refrain in our industry? The past, <laughs> past is no no guarantee of future performance or something. Yeah. And it's not. Yep. It's not. Yep. But it's a pretty good tell, right? Like it's <laughs> a good got, start, isn't it? it, it? <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think it. it, it mm-hmm. Every company out there has a good story. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to get listed. You know, at <laughs> least at true. least at one point in that's time. True. And no matter how bad things get, management and it's their job, right? They'll they'll sort of paint the way out of it and the future is is always going to look bright. Um, <laughs> yeah. but when you've got when you've got someone who has delivered and a team of people that have delivered for so long, it doesn't guarantee anything, but it, it is it is pretty good. And, and and given the sums of money they're working with too, I think that mm-hmm. makes it harder. Um, That's true. What That's true. what I would say, and again this just sort of um, Wave my flag for a little bit here. There mm. is again. I all, I'm very big on small caps, and mm-hmm. and for a bunch of reasons I've talked about before. But they just get overlooked yep. by so many people because they are quote unquote risky and, and all yeah. the rest of it. And that's generally true. But what I would say is, you start venturing outside of the ASX 200 or even 300, you would be surprised at the quality of companies that are out there. There's just two that come to mind off the top of my head. One is called mm. Supply Network SNL. Uh, is the is the ticker? Uh, you know, they've done, I'm looking at the market now. They've done one trade today worth three hundred dollars, three hundred dollars in total trade value. So <laughs> hyper illiquid company. Yeah, been around like, for decades. Yeah, consistently paid a dividend. Increased that dividend every year. Really, they they do truck parts and other kinds. Yeah, you know, it's a quote unquote boring business, but <laughs> but. Wow, that exists. I bet you no one on this mm, podcast, there's mm. very few people on the podcast would have heard of it. Another yeah. one's Objective Corp. It used to be a very small cap company. It's less small cap now, so I think it's more than a billion dollars. But again, they, you wouldn't have heard of it. They, they do software for government enterprises and, and this kind of thing. Consistently pay a dividend, consistently increase that dividend. In fact, effectively mm. manage their capital so brilliantly well, buybacks when it's cheap extra special dividends when it's not, you know, it's just really, really. So I, I'm not, I'm not trying to shill for those two companies. And by the way, I don't own shares in either of them. I don't know why <laughs> I really, I really <laughs> love them at a point And I tried to be, Oh, they're a little bit expensive, you know, some yeah. stupid rationalization, but I just, yeah. I just make the point that um, don't dump your soul patch shares, you know, or I can't give advice, but I mean, I, there's, there's a very good reason to hold it, but you mm. would be surprised there. We have the luxury of choice as investors. 2,000 odd companies are out there. Most of them are uh, mediocre. Fair share of them are absolute rubbish. But there are plenty of diamonds in the rough that will do what Soulpats has done <laughs> and, and more and more. And that's, that's the fun of stock picking. You go, go out and find them. Yep, nicely put. Um, for what it's worth, though, I happily own Soulpats as a, as a large diversified you know, ETF style investment, but I think better. Um, I'm more than happy with it. But yeah, Ram's absolutely right. That there will be, Soulpats can't, almost by definition, well, I, I can't say by definition because not, nothing's absolute. Almost by definition will not do as well as some of the small cap companies that you'll find because they're small and they're going to get bigger. Others will be big and get smaller and others will be small and stay small uh, or go to zero. Th- those things are all absolutely true. So uh, it depends on your investing style. Um, go, go and find one that suits you. If you're looking for a large, safe, broad-based, well-run investment company, I- I'm very happy to have Solpats in my portfolio. Um, but equally, I also have other individual companies for the same reasons Rams just mentioned. And it's just uh, horses for courses. Um, but I don't know over that period of time. It, yeah, it, it's... I, there's, there's, I think it's, again, you're talking about past performance, mate. Um, because of, when you, when you buy an investment conglomerate like Solpats or West Farmers, you are far more likely, in my view, 
to have a much lower risk future than buying a single company in a single industry, just almost by definition, because you can't know what's going to change that industry, right? If your job is allocating money, um, maybe maybe changes happen to the money allocating business, but you can choose the assets you want, including they could buy shares in Objective Corp or Supply Network tomorrow, for example, right? And so that's that's the benefit of having that structure. By the same token, you can do exactly that yourself. Uh, you know, SOPATS, you know, is, is that structure that you can have other people's investment decisions made for you, or you can go and do it yourself. I, I play. I don't. I have not done the work, but I'm, no I'm just on on the question there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was thinking. Well, is it? I guess there's always that question of is it a good buy today? And mm-hmm. we we're not going to give any recommendation, of course. But just to talk that through. Mm-hmm. So I bought, brought it up. I looked at the consensus forecast. Let's take them with a very big grain of salt because yep. they're, they're worth exactly what you pay for them. <laughs> Um, but again, no, no, just, no, if consensus forecast was right, everyone would get exactly the market performance because they'd all right. be right about the consensus. So yeah, yep, go on. Yep. it's too easy to lean on, but I'm <laughs> going to go with it, right? So, <laughs> okay. so in 2022, what does it say here? Solpats earned $1.61 per share. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Uh, 2023 forecast, $2.05, nice, going in the right direction. But then for whatever reason, again, I haven't done the work, so I don't know, it drops off to 144 in 2024 and then 129 in 2025. So what? Yep. more more your point here of it's not so much what the actual numbers end up being, but directionally mm. there's sort of like an improvement in the current year and then things seem to be tapering off a bit. Mm. And that's mm. fine. Or, you know, what I don't know what the rationale behind that is, but I also note that at the same time shares are at a P of 28 mm. and offering a yield of 2.7%. Now, I'm going to speak out both sides of my mouth. I think when it <laughs> comes to being clever on very high quality companies, when the intent is to hold for many, many, many years, trying to be too smart on valuation usually is a mm-hmm. disservice, right? But if you had spare capital today, is it is it a good buy today given, given that outlook, given that consensus forecast? Are you asking me the question? Yes, yes. Uh, yes, I think so, for three reasons. Uh, and very quickly, because we all want to kind of get some, through some questions. Sure, sure. Um, one is that, and this is really boring accounting, but it's actually really important to know if you're buying sole pats or a conglomerate, uh, particularly if it's a conglomerate of, kind of partly owned businesses, those earnings are just the reported earnings. And because sole pats owns an equity portfolio, they only report the dividends, for example, as earnings rather than the actual underlying operating earnings of the business. Uh, so depending on how much of a company you own changes how you account for the cash flows. Mm. So if you own, if I own 60% of a business, uh, I would include all those businesses' revenues, costs and profits and aggregate them, consolidate them as they say, to my profits. If I own 20% or 90% of a business, I only get the dividends. So let's say I own Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, the value of Berkshire to my portfolio would have been zero earnings-wise every year for the last 60 years. I'm not that old, but you know what I mean. Mm. Compared to the fact that Berkshire over that period of time has compounded its value at 20% a year. So that's just a really nice, easy example, by the way. Um, mm. So just just be a little bit careful of the reported earnings. Um, that's why before, yield is such a good me- metric under this it's uh, correct. Hard to beat, right? system. Yeah, because it's yeah. cash, right? Like yeah, exactly, the yield exactly. is the yield gets quoted. Yeah, And they're paying that cash out of their actual cash yes. inflow. So they're also doing exactly the same thing. So that's a nice one. Uh, second one is that the cross-shading holding with Brickworks makes things really, really, really messy because they pay some money to Brickworks. Brickworks pays some money back to Solpats. Um, mm. We've talked about that previously. It's, it's a bit painful. The third one is that uh, the fall in earnings is probably predicated on the New Hope coal shareholding. Uh, most people expect the coal price to fall, and so that should come down with it. Uh, what I would suggest to anyone who's interested in Solpats, Pat's not to shill for it, although I like it, I own it. It is a buy for us at Motley Fool, so let me be really clear about that, uh, is that 
you kind of, you know, who knows where the coal price goes. Uh, but also, the company reports normal earnings, not just um, sort of cyclical earnings, or, or you know, they, they don't report. They, they have to report the actual earnings. So it's statutorily required. But they will then say, our normalised earnings are this. Mm. Um, I can't remember the phrase, these management earnings or something else. It's like owner most earnings companies, or something. Yeah, most companies use that term when they want to make sure everything's better than it looks, but Solpats will do both. If, if they have a one-off windfall gain, they'll say, well, that's our... Yeah, statutory profit, but our real underlying profit was this, and it's less than that. Yeah. Uh, I would expect it's very, very likely that Solpats continues to create value. Um, one really quick one, mate. So, if you look at Solpats, use the I, I use personally for Solpats uh, the value of the asset underlying assets rather than an earnings yield for Solpats. So mm. you can actually add up everything they own. Literally, some line of by the line. parts. Shares, shares, some of the parts. Shares of New Hope Coal, this much money. Brickwork shares, this much money. Uh, and some shares of TPG Telecom, this much money. Uh, equity portfolio, this value. And you can get a sense of how much it's worth compared to the current share price. That is my, to my view, is the best way to start with one quick wrinkle, which is you then need to work out whether the market is valuing those businesses correctly. So mm. if Zolpats had recorded a $1 billion you know, valuation for their Enron shares, they didn't own them, just for very, to be very clear, back in the day, would you have paid a billion dollars for, for Sol Pats? Well, if you had and then everyone went broke, you've you wasted your money. So you have to know not only what the market price of those things are, but particularly for the big shareholdings, we think the market's getting it roughly right or not. Mm. Uh, and that's probably the that's probably the, the big bit. So that's a oh, very yeah. no, long, good answer. I, just, answer. I think it was worth, worth sort of uh, articulating it. I agree. Let's go to Carmen's question who says, Hello, Scott and Andrew. Love the podcast. I find it a much needed dose of common sense amongst all the financial hype. Man, haven't you heard Andrew talk about Bitcoin? Anyway, I have a financial question, says Carmen, that I need to get through a bit of politics to reach. So please bear with me. Russia and China are much closer than they were meeting in Moscow. China has brokered a peace deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia, the latter of which was a close ally of the US. Both countries are talking of joining the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, along with a lot of other countries. The current BRICS countries have been stockpiling their gold reserves. Now, Saudi Arabia... I love, I love the direction of this already. This is great. Keep now, going. Saudi Arabia is talking about selling its oil in yuan instead of US dollars. With the growing economic influence of China through its Belt and Road Initiative, what would happen to macroeconomics if the yuan became the world reserve currency? Specifically to the Australian economy and any investments in the USA, such as US shares, etc. Happy to hear your thoughts on the matter. Regards, Carmen. Uh, what happens when the yuan becomes the reserve currency, mate? Wow, I, I love the question, Carmen. I, I think it's actually really legitimate and 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 serious one. And I don't know what the answer is, but I mm. guarantee you that places like Russia and China do not enjoy having the US dollar as the global <laughs> reserve currency. Yeah. yeah. Right? They just they they objectively don't, particularly when it's weaponized against you and all of your mm-hmm. your money is seized, <laughs> uh, as Russia found out sort of the hard way. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's likely to happen. The US is kind of the best of a bad lot, and there's also yeah. questions of just the depth of the liquidity pools, and there's all these technical intricacies that mm-hmm. make it unlikely to happen in one fell swoop. But they're definitely trying to make moves towards that, at least in trading. Yeah particular commodities in that way or particular volumes in that way. And this weakens um, the we've, – we've had a sort of monopolar world since the end of the Cold War. The U.S. has enjoyed great advantage for that. And it kind of, it kind of weakens them strategically, I, I think. And I think that's a big part of the, the attraction, frankly, for its, for its enemies. So I don't <laughs> know where it's going. But mm. I, I – I, I can see things as we move into a more of a multipolar world, as China continues mm. to rise, that there's there's no law of the universe that says we can only have sort of one 
globally agreed monetary system. And I'm not going where you think I'm going with that. I just, whatever it is within, they, 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 there will be others that covet the really attractive position of reserve currency and that, that try and do what they can um, uh, to benefit from that. It, it'll just be a very hard transition. It's probably something that plays out over decades. But this is, I mean, the 21st century is going to be wild, not just for all the technological advancements, but just on the geopolitical stage. I, yeah, I, I don't even, <laughs> there's, there's so many different directions it could go. Do you have a sense of, of what, what you think? Um, no, uh, I think it's further away than most people would imagine for one major reason, which is while my enemy's enemy is my friend. In other words, Russia's happy to deal with China because it hates the US. The, where does Russia gain from the yuan being the central currency? They just have to deal with another superpower who is going to wield their own influence. Yep. So, you know, to the extent that uh, some people would be happy to see the US brought down a peg, and you're putting out a multipolar world ender, I think it's the right phrase. Um, I don't think it's see it happening anytime soon. The other thing is, while you say, well, oil is being sold in yuan, that's true. But that, I bet you, I bet you that oil price in yuan is pegged directly to the US dollars because we all talk in US dollars. How much is a barrel of, you know, uh, of oil worth? Oh, X yuan. Well, what's that in US dollars? Well, this much. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That sounds like the US dollar price I'm paying now. Let's do it. For as long as, and this has echoes of Bitcoin, Andrew, but we're not going to talk about Bitcoin. No. Uh, this has echoes of for as, long as you, for as long as you translate the price back into something else, then yuan is useless, right? We, if we say a Bitcoin's worth 30,000 Australian dollars, then it's worth 30,000 Australian dollars. Until we say one Bitcoin's one Bitcoin, and we all think in Bitcoins or think in that other currency. Now, for workers in Australia, we say a packet of Tim Tams is worth, what's a packet of Tim Tams? Four bucks? Four Australian dollars. We don't say a packet of Tim Tams is worth four Australian dollars. Okay, that's $2.78 US. We mm. say four dollars. Mm. Because our base currency as individuals is Australian dollars. It's where we live, it's what we do. Uh, global trade is going to have a reference point, a reference price. And you can say it's in Australian dollars or it's in yuan. And that does have some implications in terms of the need for foreign exchange and that kind of stuff. So it's not, it's not worth nothing. But for as long as people then say, well, what's that worth in the actual thing we're used to talking about? Um, gold, so think about Australians, right? We buy oil. You know, we don't ask, we know, we know it converts to an Australian dollar petrol price, but the, the deal is still done in US dollars. Mm. Um, I think that, to my mind, is the same thing. So I think there'll be a multipolar world or a more multipolar world. The US influence will fall. Do I think it's going to have any impact at all on macroeconomics? Not really, not, not in a noticeable way for most people. Is it influencing my investing at all? No, not even slightly. Genuinely, I, I won't say I couldn't care less because it makes it sound like I don't, I don't look at it or don't think about it. It's making literally zero difference to what I do. Yeah, I don't know. I look. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say I. I totally disagree. But just in terms of the plausibility of it, where, where the the one of the great benefits of being the reserve or having the reserve currency is that you get mm. um, a lot of foreigners to sort of fund your deficit. Sure. Right, and so yeah. if you take away a lot of those capital flows, and a lot of this capital is being recycled from other trade until very. It's, Turtles on turtles. It's really complicated yes, yeah. uh, kind of stuff. But it does at some point influence mm. the fiscal spending, which influences the economy, which influences investments, which influences share price. And we're talking about the, at the current stage, at least, the largest um, 
uh, economy in the world and likely to remain one of the uh, largest ones in the world as well. So it could, it could if it got dire enough, definitely have macroeconomic uh, impacts and, and in impacts to investors. I mean, again, yes. I, yes. it's going to play out over a long time and maybe it doesn't even play out in that general direction. The, the other point I would make too is, is that I hear what you're saying in terms of converting everything back to one sort of centralized measuring stick, which is all money really is, is a, is a, is a uh, measuring stick. Mm. It, the more fundamental val value of it is, is what can I, what purchasing power can yeah, I get exactly. for it? So the great yeah. thing about the US dollar is I can trade with China and then I can get my US dollars yes. from all the exports that I have. And then I can go buy stuff from Sweden. Right, and it's, right, it's, right. That, it's that sort of fungibility across sort of different mm -hmm. domains and, and jurisdictions that, that makes it really attractive. But if I happen to have a lot of trade between two nations, so I actually mm -hmm. don't know what the stats are, but let's, there is, um, China needs oil. Well, Russia's mm. got that, and Russia needs a lot of the stuff that China makes, right? So you can actually perfectly function. You might sort of accounting-wise account for it or convert to US dollars, but you can still – you actually don't need that convertibility when we're trading directly with us, so when there's a big overlap there, right? Yeah. And th there will uh, a natural exchange rate will emerge. You don't need the transactions, but it's still going to be referenced because China's going to sell that oil to someone else if they, or whatever, the Russia yeah. sell it or someone else if they get a better price in US dollars versus yuan. It, it, it's a bit like yeah. currencies in general, right? The Australian, we're talking about the cross rates. The Australian dollars worth so many US dollars, US dollars are worth so many Canadian dollars, Canadian dollars are worth so many British pounds, and, and British pounds are worth so many Australian cents. Yeah. And, and the, like it's, it, it's, the, the, the currency markets work exactly that way, that even though we, we don't dominate stuff in US dollars, and trade sometimes settled in that, 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 that the swings and roundabouts, the, the cross rates, it, it's all still, it's not perfect, but it's pretty, it's as close as efficient as markets get, which yeah. is you'll sell, you'll sell, uh, you, we will sell to the country that gives us the most Australian dollars. Right now, yes. how that's dominated is kind of, you know, might be yes. 48 Canadian dollars or 28 US dollars or 13 British pounds or you yeah. know how many how many rubles that that ends up being i think those are the same things really because we all know how many australian dollars we're getting for that because those cross rates are so efficient it's effectively an abstraction of the barter system right and again just that that two yes, country exactly. scenario right. here right. it's like yeah hey hi i'm russia i've got all this black yep. stuff do you yep. do you want to yeah i do oh, what, what do we give us oh, um we'll give you a bunch of tvs and t-shirts right yeah, and that, that's exactly. that's effectively what's happening so exactly. I, I yeah uh, yeah i mean you can convert that to anything you want yeah. dogecoin for all i care but <laughs> but there is a value for value don't, transfer don't do don't do <laughs> and um <laughs> so so yeah, I mean, it's just it is it is super super fascinating, and it just yeah. it does have it does have implications. What's but really they're changed? Very, they're over not very likely, and not very big, and they're not very soon, right? Like I think I think we theoretically well, that's potentially big. Mm. You, what in the next fifty years? I, I don't know I what the time. It. It's not going to happen yeah. tomorrow. That that that, that yeah. that's for yeah. sure. But it just there's there's a really interesting map I saw recently, and it mm. was uh, highlighting a picture of the world highlighting who the dominant trade partner is for each country. Oh, right. And cool. you go back to 1990 and mm. it was like US and Europe had huge control over mm. things. Mm. Now it's all red in, in yeah. the world. Well, the map was colored red for obvious <laughs> reasons, but it's China, right? Yeah. So it's when you ask who's Australia's dominant trading partner, mm. not the US anymore. It's distant, distant. Yeah. I don't even know if it's second. Yeah. You know, it's, it's probably after Japan and the rest of it, right? But, third, probably, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, it's China. And it's not just Australia's relationship yeah. because we've got all these, these nice rocks under the ground. It's, it's like virtually, I think it's something like two thirds of the globe. China is the biggest currency. So we can abstract it back to whatever we want, but I'm actually trading something with this person over here, stuff I have for stuff they have. It just becomes, it becomes less 
uh, of a necessity for me to go to an exchange, convert that foreign currency back into yeah, US yeah. dollars. I just don't need to anymore. It's the same when you look at uh, Australian companies that have operations in the US. And we all have to sort of convert it back when we look at the financial statements. But there's plenty of right. their operations that are based in the US that, yes, they're earning US dollars, but they've got expenses in US dollars as well. Mm-hmm. So that repatriation, that conversion actually doesn't really make sense at a certain at a certain level. So it's kind of, it's a, anyway, I just, I don't know. Again, I'm not like I'm firmly opposed to you, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm less certain to say that it's nothing. In fact, it feels like it could be something, but I, it's, it's very, it's beyond my, my small brain to comprehend. I think, I think that's probably, yeah. I, yeah. I, I still think it's probably less likely to be a big deal in, in my lifetime than you do. But in either case, the, the fact we don't know means that what do you do differently? Probably exactly nothing, right? Like I, I I'm not doing anything differently investing wise. I don't think it's going to change the world meaningfully. And and if it does, we'll see it coming. It's not like there's no. There might be a tipping point, but we'll see ourselves approaching that tipping point over time. So it's going to spring on us all of a sudden. I, I think structurally too, it, it's interesting because the you talk about budget deficits. Um, mm. The last pod, right? So US has a massive, massive deficit, and it's growing and it's growing and growing. There's no, not even close to balance or even surplus. And even if they do go into surplus, take them forever to sort of yeah. pay off their debt. So again, they'll never nominally default. They'll just print the money. But from the, there's all you've got to look at both parties of a transaction. The US government has a shortfall. They say, here's an IOU, we'll pay you back with interest. And the world has been very happy to do that because it's just seen as, you know, one of the biggest, best, safest sort of economy. But that prop let's say that they they have difficulty raising money at the interest rates that they want to pay in a situation where they are perpetually having to print up the money effectively to to stopgap the solution from from China's point of view, from Russia's point of view, from a whole bunch of others, like why I've 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 worked as a country really hard. I've built up all this this um, value, mm. and I'm putting it over here in treasuries and stuff, which I know are being debased. It becomes less attractive. Now you kind of have to suck it up at this point because that's the only sort of system that that's out there. Mm-hmm. But again, you would imagine that when when the government goes to issue those bonds, it's just like. And this has happened. This has already happened, right? Where they do it, and it's just like the, the the market doesn't meet the demand, and so the Fed steps in and buys the remainder. And that that again, uh, people will say that's not a problem because it balances out over the cycle. I'm just making the observation that well, it's a, hasn't hasn't balanced for a long time, and it, it's getting harder and harder. I think the U.S. interest debt is like their third biggest expense under current rates, hmm. right? But I, I don't know. I just, I, I just come back to the maths and I, just, I feel as though at a point, we, you and I have no problem debating the nefarious um, nature of, of capital raisings and the dilution mm-hmm. risk that we face as investors. Yeah. Company you own, really like, raise a bunch of money and blow it up on some stupid acquisition. And there's much more shares out there and my value has been absolutely destroyed. And it's black and white. It's the pizza analogy. We talk about it all the time. It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same. We're not talking about shares. We're talking about monetary units. But it's that exact same kind of problem. And investors... I think the other parties to these trades and who who are the biggest bondholders? They are the sovereigns. It's China. has tons of them. They've been selling down, by the way. But they've got gazillions and, and gazillions of dollars worth. I mean, it just becomes a really crappy proposition. Could you imagine what, what US citizens might think if the situation was reversed and it's the US that's buying all of the bonds from China and China's busily printing more and more money while running right, right, a structural right. deficit? 
yeah, the yeah. size of Christmas. Yeah. Americans were like, why are we buying this stuff? Yeah, for? why are we doing this exactly? We're just yeah, yeah. we're just being diluted again and again. And I, yeah, I just that yeah. you I don't know, it's a movable a movable object meets an unstoppable force at some point. I, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen. Yep, no, I, I right. But yeah, not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, yeah, one from Richard. I, let's do this very quickly if we can, Ram, because I'm not going to get into the detail, but uh, the, the idea is interesting. Dear Scott and Ram, says Richard, I've been reading a few FIRE-related books. That's Financially Independent, Retire Early. Books recently, and most just stick to the adage of saving as much as you can and investing for the long term in a basket of diversified stocks or indexed ETFs. All sensible, relatively straightforward ideas. However, one book I've just read mentioned the strategy of using covered calls to increase income. Can you provide an overview of how these work and give us your opinion on them? For someone investing in equities for the long term, would they be considered a low-risk way of increasing income? Regards, mm. Richard from the New South Wales Central Coast. Oh, beautiful part of the world. Great question. Um, covered calls, mate. What do you think? So uh, so th- there are these things called options contracts, which give you the mm-hmm. option to buy or sell the underlying asset, in this case a share, at some mm-hmm. point in the future at a set price. You do, you uh, do a deal with somebody else and you say, hey – I want to do this, or or you want to do this. Either I will, I will buy the option, and I will buy the choice from you, or you can buy the choice from me. Exactly. There are call options, which mean I get the option to buy a share at a set price at a set point mm-hmm. in the future, and there are put options, which gives me the right, but not the obligation, to sell my shares at a set price on or before a set fixed date. And there's sort of American expiry and European expiry, but just gen- very high level kind of kind yes, of stuff. Yes. So what a covered call is. Now, option strategies tend to be risky. They're derivative instruments, so you can lose a lot on them. They derive you can also, from the value of something else. They derive from the value of something else. You can also do incredibly well because relative mm-hmm. to the equity put in, you get much greater exposure. So there's yeah. options as a broad term. Is is uh, There's a lot of stuff you can do with them. Um, uh, a covered call is where let's say I own shares in Telstra. And I'm going to not buy the call. I'm going to sell the call. I'm going to give someone else the right to buy shares at a set point in the future. So I don't nice. know what Telstra is. So I might say, look, mate. Call it four bucks. Call it four bucks, right? Telstra is four bucks. I'm happy to hold my Telstra shares, but I'm going to sell you the right to buy them at five bucks at any time between now and 2030. And you're going to pay me a premium for that. So now, price if- goes up to five bucks. They can buy them from you for $4. Yes, right. That's where, okay. Well, well, whatever the exercise that like a pretty is. Good, that sounds like a pretty good deal, but I've got to pay you. So let's, let's say let's say on the other side of this trade. Yep. You've, got, you've got Telstra shares there, four bucks. Yep. I can buy them for you at f- for $4 at some point between now and 2030. Well, yes. I, my example, I said five because they, oh, sorry, I'd five, be selling five, five, at, yes, at the right, money. Yes. So just to keep it consistent. Sorry, okay, so, okay, okay, okay. Because sorry, I'm, right. I'm, I'm happy to sell it. So you'll, but right. you'll take that bet well, okay. you know, in this example because you yep. think, well, I think Telstra is going to be worth like eight, nine bucks at that point in time. And I'm so now I, give got you, a I give you 10 cents and yes. I can buy it at any point in the next 10 years for $5. Free money, right? Free right. money for me. Now, what's my yep. downside? Well, mm-hmm. my downside actually ostensibly looks like there is no downside because – you got money. You if, got the if 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 you exercise your option, mm-hmm. well, I get to sell it at five bucks at a profit, right? I'm, I'm locking. So, so in I made that. a dollar. I got the ten cents for the option. Yep. So I made a dollar ten profit on that deal. I'm pretty yep. stoked. Yep, and it's pretty good. And look, there's a chance it doesn't even get there, or it doesn't get to a point where it's economically right. rational to exercise. So you keep the ten cents, and you yes. still keep your shares. Your your our contract between each other expires worthless. You didn't mm-hmm. you didn't you, you, the, the expiry date came and went. You didn't exercise your option. I just get to, I keep all the money. It's brilliant, and it's a really good strategy, uh, except 
Uh, no, well, before you do that, before you do that, yep. it would expire worthless if in, in 2030 the shares were $4.50. Yes. I'm not going to pay, I'm going to buy shares off you for $5. That'd be stupid. I've lost yeah. my 10 cents I gave you for the right to do it. Yep. But it'd be stupid to, to buy for $5.50 on the market. So I don't there. exercise the option. Right. Yep. Yep. Ab- absolutely. Cool. So Sorry, what's, the down, what's the downside? Well, the downside is, is that in trying, the more income, the, the way option pricing works is that the more, it is in the money, the more attractive mm-hmm. it is. I can actually sell you a right now to, to buy my Telstra shares at $2 a share. Right. And you go, what? That doesn't make any sense. It's $4. Why would you give someone the right to do that? Well, I'm not going to give mm-hmm. it to you for free. I'm going to put a premium right. on right, top right, of that. Right. So you might actually buy that right for $3. Yeah. And then have to exercise it too. I'm sure we're losing people because it's complicated. Yeah, let's stuff. not go into that. Let's not go into it, it is yeah, really, yeah. but but I guess my, 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 the bottom line here is there is always risk. It's yeah. a low as far as option strategies go. The, the covered call strategy is very low risk, but the risk is is that you sign this contract, you get a bit of a, an mm-hmm. extra premium, and then the next day Telstra or the next year, whatever it is, Telstra is at twenty bucks a share. Well done, you, you. You can't sell it for twenty dollars because you've got to sell it for five dollars because I've. Yeah. Yeah, I've I bought the right so they got a 20 bucks I, th- I say beauty I paid you 10 cents Andrew yep. now I get to buy $20 shares for $5 I'm a genius and you're kicking yourself thinking yep. oh my god that 10 cent premium I got that's bloody expensive because I just gave up $15 upside yep. to get 10 cents now absolutely absolutely and that's the risk now you might not even have the collateral there you're just writing the contract naked in which case now I've got to go on market buy shares at, at uh whatever it was, five bucks and sell them to you at three bucks or, you know, whatever, whatever the example is. It's like, it's a really, it can, it can, it can really go against you. So mm-hmm. I, I actually have in way back in the day, did used to muck around with this a bit and I used to rationalize it. What, what I found was it's a bugger of a lot of work for not much upside. <laughs> Options markets are pretty efficient, right? Yep, yep. Um, and then, and then what, what you would also find is, is that, you really miss the, the your portfolio when you look mm-hmm. back at the end of days is going to be dominated by a small handful of absolute stellar outperformers. You're going to have a big chunk of mediocre ones in between, mm-hmm. and you're going to have a few absolute dogs in there. That's just everyone, right? I don't care if yeah. you're the world's best fund manager or Warren Buffett. That's everyone. Yeah. That's just how it be. Now, as soon as you cap your upside, if it happens to be one of those ones that does the heavy lifting on your total returns. You know, it can really yes. hurt you. It really, it really can. So I, I would, I would only do it to an extent where they were well out of the money. <laughs> In other words, I had, I had less risk of being um, exercised. I get a smaller premium for it, but I would, I would take that compromise if I was going to do it. If, if I really was genuine long-term holder of these mm-hmm. shares and wanted to keep them for many years. You couldn't pay me to use a covered call strategy, mate, for exactly the reason you just highlighted. Uh, it, it, it makes. Absolutely. If you buy shares, you're in theory buying them because you think they're going to go up. Yep. Say, saying to someone, and if I'm right, you'll take them off me for a cheap price. Mm-hmm. I reckon it's just is, is madness. I, I mean, I get. Here's the other thing, by the way. These are, these things are effectively zero sum, right? So you're betting against someone else who thinks you're wrong. <laughs> why, why would I buy the covered call from Andrew on his Telstra shares? Because I think they're going to be above five dollars. Yeah. Now, that and to your, your, I'm telling you. Mate, I think your company is worth more than you think it's worth, even yes. though you're the one who owns them. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I've never done it. I, I nothing is, is forever. I can, I can never. I can't imagine ever doing it. I, I when it works, you make money. Uh, so I get the, I get the, the idea, Richard, why you'd want to. Uh, when it doesn't work, you lose the upside. I, I mean, I, I yeah. I, 
if you, if you didn't care about the asset value and you just wanted dividends plus call options, you're happy to kind of be sold out of your stuff for a cheap price. Maybe mm. I could guess why you might. If you're if you're in retirement, you don't you genuinely don't care about portfolio. It's only ever about income. You're going to die with whatever shares you currently own because dividends are enough. Maybe at that point, if someone bought your Telstra shares for five dollars, if they were worth six, you'd probably still kick yourself, but go listing up the dividend income and their options income. It's all I cared about. Mm. I mean, I, I, I guess there's a scenario which it makes sense, but not not caring about the asset value strikes me as a, a strange way to invest. So, uh, Richard, I think the first lot of books you've read about investing long term, saving, working hard, putting the money away, diversifying. Uh, if it was me, I think those are fantastic, almost entirely unimpeachable ideas. The covered call option, I think, is a bit too clever by half, is my general view. Yeah, I mean, look, as I say, on the spectrum of options trading, it's not, it's far from the worst. It's just- Which, is, you, which says more about the rest of the spectrum, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, we haven't talked about the iron condor and the, oh, uh, you know, all the others, very esoteric strategy, and the selling puts and, and buying calls and all this kind of advanced <laughs> stuff. And it just, it, yeah. it introduces a very- oh. um, speculative component on the timing of, of price changes and, and the just, rest of it. Can like you bet against somebody else? I, I, I just don't, I don't understand. I don't make zero-sum bets, right? If the expected value of share market is positive, at the very worst, if you're broadly diversified, you're going to make money. Uh, taking a bet that says, I don't know, makes no sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, it's not, it's not for me. Look, I, I think oh. even, if you are, even if you do it, just be prepared that it's quite a bit of extra effort. And it's, it's, if you're successful, it'll make a difference. It's not going to make a huge difference. I would, I would yeah, exactly. Argue. Yeah, anyway. Because, because any, anything that looks attractive is going to be priced as such. Again, it always comes back to it. The markets are very, this is what they do. They are very, very good on average over the long term, not in short timeframes, but, yeah. but, it, but, it, but it, it, it getting that. So again, you've, you, you can, if you're just some genius that can spot massive market inefficiencies and take advantage of it, great. Um, historically, very few people have been able to consistently do that. We're all better than average drivers, mate. Yep. Hey, really quick one from Kez. We answered this kind of question before, but a really quick one. Hi, Scott and Andrew. I've been listening to the show since January 1, 2023, literally. Hey, good news, mm. news resolution. I haven't missed an episode since. I really enjoyed your advice and jokes, says Kez. <laughs> I think Kez is talking about me. I'm pretty yes. sure. Yeah. My question today is, as a person who is looking to invest more frequently in the future, and I like the idea of broad-based ETFs, why wouldn't I just invest in my super and gain the tax incentives and presumably get similar returns full on from kez yeah we had we had this one before well, yeah. there's there's no there's no competition right like you're just going to get such better yep. treatment in super yes, but <laughs> but uh it is locked up i yep. mean maybe you get hit by a bus tomorrow why you uh, get the better returns it's exactly in the feature it's, it's a feature of the system that's exactly yep. what they do Here, here's here's some better returns in return for not being able to touch the money yep and so that i mean like, you know it is what it is and for some people that'd be good for others it won't so just just bear that in mind the other risk is that that the rules get changed or the government dips its fingers into the super pot at some point because of some financial crisis or you know we have another pandemic and we allow everyone to access it and flip it into property or whatever you know there is there are there are there are there are (laughs) the unknown unknowns as to what might happen with that look people in france right now are, are rioting because the 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 government wants to change the retirement age, right? And they, there was people yes, who for decades right. had an implicit sort of assumed contract with the state that this is what would happen. And, and I'm not saying, I don't want to get weighed into that debate, but I'm just saying governments change rules. 
Yep. And if you're 20 and you're saying, wow, now I would guarantee by the time that we get close to it, that we'll probably raise the, the age at which you can access it as well, right? So someone in their 20s could be looking at 50 years before they get that. Anything could happen in the meantime. Now, if you know that you're going to make it to that point and then have a full rich life after that, yeah, it's no brainer, right? Like put what you, <laughs> put you can into it. But it's a lot of sort of... Um, opportunity cost again along the way so i'm not advocating don't invest in super it's a very smart thing to do but there are compromises there are um and those compromises are really what it comes down to i would highly encourage most people to go very close to maximizing their super for the reasons andrew already mentioned but if you want to retire at 55 and the government let's check your money at 65 you literally you know you you know you're going to get it it's one of those things that's like the inheritance almost you know 10 years time you're going to get the money but you can't afford to retire now because you can't get to it. That's not a problem, though. That's exactly what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be about retirement and a decent retirement age. Mm. Um, so I, I, that's why I would do both. Um, but I, you know, just just be mindful of how much of both you need to do. You are absolutely giving up a lot, like massive. Think about not only the tax on the way in, but the tax right through the life of that, compound that out over time. Massive. I don't actually do it. The Excel spreadsheet's not, it's not hard, but don't bother. Um, Think about the compound returns you are giving up for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in that saved tax yeah. component. It is enormous, you know, absolutely enormous. Yeah. Um, but as Andrew says, you, you are giving up control and you're giving up flexibility and optionality. So yeah. um, balance those two very carefully. And what, what if, what if you know, we do get into what if, when, because mm-hmm. it just cycles, right? I don't know when and what it will be the cause of it. But mm-hmm. at some point in time, it is... It is such a massive temptation for a government that is fiscally strapped (laughs) to say, we're going to increase the rate. It's still going to be discounted, but we're going to increase it a little bit. Things Mm -hmm. will, I I would say things like the age at which you can access it, the conditions under which you can access it, the rate at which it Mm -hmm. will be, all of these things are almost guaranteed to change over a long enough timeframe. And I'm not necessarily Mm -hmm. talking a hundred years. I I think over 10, 15, 20 years, we're likely to see. We've already seen changes over the last 10 years as to what you can and can't do with super. And it's always, so it's, it's your main, Making this long, long, long-term financial commitment under a certain set of assumptions. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not to be a conspiracy theorist, but I just think no, yeah. be aware, be aware yeah. that things yep. could and, and may well change. Not drastically, and, but, but, but maybe not favorably. And, pro- and probably not enough to make it unattractive either, by the way. It's, yeah, it's, sure. it's almost certain it's not going to be less attractive than investing outside super. Yeah. Uh, and it's also worth, you know, it, it, they could change the personal tax rates too. So yes. it's, not, it's not just yeah, they might excellent change. Not you're saying this, of course, but they're not saying yeah. you can't. Yeah, you know, they'll change super, but not other stuff. Everything's changeable, flexible. You just give up control over what you do as a result because you've elected to lock this away till retirement. Um, I said I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think you should. Most people should put more in super than they do, uh, but putting all in super is a is a very big bet in a particular direction and optionality is important right in life in general yeah. um, give yourself the, the the opportunity to change your mind change your investments change your approach if circumstances require it um yeah it just and, and very quickly it's not black or white right you can go have a bit oh, each way totally yeah. exactly and that's why I, I mean i personally do mate i me too i have i put i add money to super and i invest in, in my own name and that's just how I, we do it um for exactly that reason yep same man i think we're probably done yeah i think we'll probably come to a very happy conclusion uh will you join me next friday uh, absolutely try and stop can me I, can i say the straw man joke about 50 50 so far on social media yeah uh, you do you you do you and he doesn't if, mean that if you're enjoying it then i don't want to stop you enjoying it he doesn't he doesn't mean that at all someone did Please. say you should ask me what the motley fool is though and i said uh it wouldn't be as funny by the way you're not in charge and also our market would probably love it <laughs> yeah. so we'll, we shall we shall see how that pans out until next friday 
Pull on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.